This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 22. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Graham. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing really good. I want to point out something that was revealed to me before this episode started, and that is you keep bees at your house. What? Yes, I am a total hippie. We use the Kenyan top par beehive, and uh, it's like a way to naturally raise bees without <laughs> uh, pesticides or you know hormones or anything. So it's it's like a trough, and it's really fun because when you keep bees, it's like fifty thousand bees in you know. And you're in a, you're in a residential neighborhood, right? Like you're yeah. just in a normal neighborhood. Game. Well, yes and no. Like we we have a giant. We we live in the woods in a neighborhood, so there's like a park behind our house. But it's really fun, you know. Like the bees are like my kids have never been stung. I've been stung one time, and you know at the peak we've had like maybe a hundred thousand bees living in our backyard. And it's never been an issue. I'm sure it wasn't one of your bees. It was another bee. It wasn't one of your bees. Your bees would never sting you. No, the the one time I got stung, it was my fault. I was being an idiot and uh. I got stung on the face. Well, you make your own beeswax lip balm crap, which is <laughs> just another thing to add to the list of things Chris does that's interesting and kind of weird. Anyways, let's let's get back on topic here. Today, we have a special guest. This is only the second interview podcast we've ever done on the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Uh, the, if you exclude the episodes that Chris and I did where we interviewed each other, episodes two and three, um, our first guest was Billy Decker. And our second guest today that we have on the show is Emily Dolan Davis. Right. Yeah, perfect. Hey, Emily. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Bri-Bri? Oh, that's so sweet of you to call me Bri-Bri. Uh, also, no, you can call me Bri-Guy, but Bri-Bri goes well. <laughs> okay, so today's topic, Chris and I were actually sitting around coming up with the episode ideas. And we came up with something that I thought was a very interesting, uh, potentially a series. We don't know if we're going to do a series on this yet or not. We probably will. But a, a series or at least one episode on an angle that we think is super interesting and helpful for you as a listener. And that is taking two different skills, two different passions, two different abilities, and combining them together to create some sort of unique either differentiator, unique service, or unique angle on business that is something that really allows you to stand out. Basically creating your own niche by combining two different skills, abilities, and passions. And so the first person that came to mind when coming up with this episode topic idea was Emily, because Emily came to Nashville recently, and she is obviously not from Nashville. She's from somewhere on the other side of the pond. And she treated me to lunch. I took her to Big Al's Deli, which is where I take a lot of people to lunch if they meet with me for lunch here in Nashville. It's one of my favorite lunch spots. But she refused to let me buy her lunch. And instead, she paid for my own lunch. So for that, I say thank you, Emily. But she has a very interesting, I don't want to say angle, but model to her business. And we're going to explore that today because she does a very interesting thing to create what I consider, I guess, her own niche or a very interesting niche that it doesn't have as much competition. And I'm going to kind of let her explain what she does today. Emily, do you want to kind of give us a brief overview of what it is that you do that's a little bit different than what most studios do? Yeah, so I basically record drums remotely for anyone in the world that needs drums recording on their music. Um, and I guess the thing that has made me slightly different is that I'm also a touring drummer. So I've been a touring drummer for the last 10 years professionally. I've played for the last 20. 
And I get a lot of people that come to me who are big fans of the artists or the bands that I've played with. And I guess they kind of just think, oh, I want that drummer that's played with X, Y and Z and I want them on my music. And, you know, maybe that make me as famous as that artist. But I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the actual sort of train of thought is. But all I know is I'm at the other end of the email just going, hi, yeah, cool, I'll record drums for you. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, and it makes it really fun and you definitely get some really interesting artists, some pretty crazy fans as well, which uh, are also interesting. But yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it's very interesting to me and. Makes it very varied. Well, don't be shy. What's the domain name? What's your website? <laughs> it's emilydrums.com. <laughs> Genius. That's like the greatest website name ever. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You know what? When I registered it, I didn't even think about it. And originally it was just my website as me as a touring drummer before I'd started all the recording stuff. And then I sort of like switched it over because I thought it kind of makes sense like as a is it adjective? No, which one's the doing word? My English skills are horrendous. Is it adjective? The person from England. Yes. Yeah, I know, right? Sorry. You get a noun and a verb. That's it. There you go. So I was like, actually, that kind of works. And people seem to remember it, which is really good. But then I try and point them in my now new website for my touring stuff and my general website. And you try and look up emilydolandavis.com. I'll tell you what, <laughs> nobody goes on there. <laughs> but that's fine. So can you give us kind of a quick list of some of the people you have both played drums for at the studio, like in the studio level, and then also who you have toured with as a touring drummer? Yeah, sure. So recording wise, I've recorded with Brian Ferry, The Darkness, as we were talking about before this, Peppa Pig, I did some recording for. And then, yeah, just, you know, new artists coming up and then uh, literally in the same way of my touring, anyone that will have me, I'm like, yeah. I'll play on that if I can physically do it. If I physically have the time, I'll do it. And as in terms of touring, I toured with The Darkness as well, Brian Ferry for about four years. Tricky, who is a trip-hop artist in the UK. I'm not sure whether he made it over to the States properly. Cher Lloyd, who is basically got out of this country. I'm surprisingly a Cher Lloyd fan, which is hilarious. <laughs> Look, I wasn't until I worked with her. And I was like, first of all, Great songs. And second of all, she works her ass off. Nice. Like you would not believe. Guilty I worked pleasure. with her when she was oh totally. But I worked with her when she was 17 and man, her work ethic was just so inspiring. And, and people treated her so badly, but she was a kid. Like it was anyway, that's a whole other story for a whole other time. <laughs> but uh yeah, uh, who else? I'm trying to think other people that oh uh, so Howard Jones, um an 80s eyes. I'm going out with Kim Wilde literally in three days' time. So I've been in rehearsals. So if I'm a bit blah, 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 it's because I've, I've been in rehearsals all day and I'm knackered. Wait, what is that word again? Is that a word that you're familiar with, Chris? Knackered? So, say it one more time. Knackered. Naked? <laughs> knackered. Like tired. Okay, gotcha. Okay. All right. We're learning things today here on the podcast. Yeah, literally all the English guys and girls that are listening will go, yeah, knackered. What's wrong with that? So yeah, anyway, I'm very... Very, very, very tired. How's that? Okay. Got it. <laughs> um, and then who else? Oh, Thompson Twins. Yeah, basically a whole ton of different artists. And uh, I saw Span across quite a few genres, which has helped me actually in terms of the recording side of things now. And the studio has only been open for coming up to two years now. So it's still pretty early days, but it's working, which is great. And it's a dream come true. I'm so lucky. I consider myself very lucky. Well, I think what's so cool, and this is sort of what me and Brian were talking about, is this idea that you clearly have two things that you like, audio 
and drumming. Yeah. And if you can imagine if these were roads, where they intersect is where you've built your niche. And what I love, I'm not just saying that I, I love your your website name, but it's brilliant. The verb and a noun. You tell someone oh, emilydrums.com, you pretty much know what you do. Yeah. You know, you know a couple things. You know you're a drummer. You know that you do it and you're providing it as a service. And I think one thing worth mentioning is you know that you're a girl. And it's sort of rare to meet a girl drummer. That's cool. Yeah. And um, that differentiates as well that it's not just like, it, it would not be cool if it was like bobdrums.com, you know? I don't know. That would be good. I'll tell you why that would be good. Because you can remember the name Bob a lot, a lot better than you can remember the name Emily. <laughs> so that's the only thing I would say about that. Because sometimes if they forget my name, screwed. First of all, Go to emilydrums.com just to see her site because yes. she's laid it out uh, wonderfully. Second of all, if you need drums on your recordings, obviously hire her because check out her portfolio, check out her work. She does a great job. But headline, she has written the perfect headline for what she does because it is so straight to the point. Headline says, professional drums recorded remotely for you. And for any of you who have a website, if you don't come across, if you don't get what you do out there in such a succinct uh, and clear headline, it's going to be difficult for you to turn people, turn website visitors into clients. One of the things that that immediately comes to mind is there's a book me and Brian are a huge fan of called Story Brand by Donald Miller. And Donald Miller talks about that your website should pass the caveman test. He calls it the grunt test. The grunt test. That a caveman... <laughs> a caveman should be able to go on your website and say, Emily, make drum for me. <laughs> I not to be there. <laughs> like, that's amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons that you're having some success with this is that it's so crystal clear what you do when you're on your website. Another test is called the blink test. And that is how long does it usually take before you blink? It's about five seconds, six seconds, something like that. And if you can't tell what you do in that five seconds, then you've lost them immediately. So in five seconds, I know exactly what Emily does just by her website. So this is not a website episode, but it's definitely worth mentioning that her website straight off the bat grabs you and pulls you in. Well, thank you. I, I just want to say thank you because yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people who I, I labor over my website, especially, well, in January, typically when, you know, work's a bit slow, it's time for a website revamp. So <laughs> I'm really glad that it's kind of helped. And obviously, Brian, I've taken, I've been taking your course and that's really helped me with looking at things differently and making it very succinct. So I, I'm glad it's coming across like that because, uh, yeah, I've labored over it like you would not believe. So thank you. <laughs> Much appreciated. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that you do really, really well on that website as well is that I don't mean this in a negative way, but professionalism isn't really what you're going for. You're accessible. You're friendly. You're cool. Oh, I'm not cool. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm a big old geek and anyone that knows me will know that. But Well, it bums me out when I go on a website and it's just, it's clear that the person is obsessed with this idea of what professional means. And they're like, hello and welcome to my website.com. I provide these services for you. And it's just like, oh, I, I don't trust you. Like you're weird. <laughs> this work. is strange. You are yourself very clearly on your YouTube videos. Yeah. It's something that I, I'm very aware of. Like I have been since I started playing drums because when I was growing up, I sort of would look to people and they would have this professional kind of thing going on. And although it was like, wow, they're amazing. You couldn't connect with them and you couldn't relate to them. And, um, 
And especially, I mean, now it's funny, you were saying about being a girl that's also part of your like unique selling point thing. I, it sounds weird. I don't see myself as a girl, obviously, because I'm just me. I'm like, ah, whatever, I'm some idiot that hits things for a living for crying out loud. But, um, <laughs> and I just thought, okay, let me think about the 11 year old me, what I would have liked to have seen, you know, if I, if YouTube did exist or whatever. And I thought, you know what? I want to be that accessible person who is not like, oh, they're so cool and I could never speak to them or be like them. I'll be like, hi. So I'm from like North London and I'm a bit of an idiot and I don't know the difference between a verb and a noun and an adjective, but (laughs) I play drums and I've managed to make a living out of it, which is crazy, absolutely mental. I've come from, you know, I don't come from money. We didn't have a lot growing up, but we had grit as we were talking about grit and persistence and a dream. And it was just this goal and this laser focus. And I just thought, right, if I can get I always sort of like aim my stuff at younger kids that might think that, you know, they're, they're living in like really poor parts of, like, I grew up in North London. There are some poor parts of London where people have nothing. And I thought if I can make them think, well, maybe I, if I work hard, maybe I could do something like that. That's me. That's my goal. Always has been. But it's kind of um, like transferred over into the recording side of stuff because like you said, I don't want to be this kind of, well, you know, you book me and I will give you three takes and then that is it. You don't get any revisions. You deal with whatever (laughs) I give you and that's that. Like, that's not me. I'm like, look, I want your music to sound amazing. I want it to be the best it can be have as many revisions as you want. I just want you to be happy. And I've been like that in touring. I'm like that in recording, just generally in life. I mean, you know, I'm not comfortable with the fact that Brian tried to pay for his own lunch on uh, Big Owls. You know, he's taken his time to come out and meet me. The least I can do is pay for his food. And look, he's ended me up here on this podcast. So happy days. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's a winner, baby. Everyone's a winner. (laughs) I love it. I would love to know a backstory on the drumming portion. I want to know about the audio portion as well, but first the drum portion, because I, I have a feeling that the level you got to in drums where you're touring with some of these bigger artists has helped immensely when it comes to the service you offer of remote recording drums. Really, you know, I, I know you've been playing drums since you were 11, so there's a lot of back history there, but really what got you into some of these bigger tours? Well, I mean, like I say, it was always this laser focus. I I kind of, I started playing drums at 11. There was this random drum club that started in my school and I was the shyest kid, like wouldn't speak to anyone. It's like super- I don't believe it for a second. Seriously. (laughs) If you'd have told the 11 year old self that I was doing this right now, they'd be like, no, she's not doing that. She's not doing an interview. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I was super shy. And anyway, I thought, I always loved music. My dad played a little bit of guitar and stuff like that. And there was always music on around the house. So I always loved music. And I thought, well, let me just go try this, you know, being all shy and whatnot. And I sat down at these drums and I just sort of, it just kind of made sense. I couldn't play, but I just, I understood it. And I never, I'd never felt like that about anything before. And I don't think I have since, to be honest. And I just thought, I could be good at this. And it was that one moment that I was like, well, that's me. I'm in love. I'm going to obsessively do this now. And then I hit sort of like, I I sort of started out practicing. I had a few lessons and stuff like that. I started playing with all the musicians in school that I could. And then at 14, I distinctly remember walking home from school because I didn't like school. Academically, I was okay, but I had problems with bullying and all that, the usual stuff that everyone has problems with. But I always had the drums to go back to and go, well, at least if I put my energy into this, everything will be okay. Like no matter what's going on, this is okay. 
Uh, and yeah, 14, I just thought, that's it. This is what I'm going to do with my life. This is what I'm going to do for a living. Better get focused. And I just thought, right. And I'd say now looking back, I had slightly unrealistic expectations, but in my head, it was like, right. So by 16, I want to be on a world tour. And I remember watching a VHS of a drummer called Billy Ashbow, who played with NSYNC. And I used to watch this video religiously. And I'm like, right, 16, that's the kind of gig I want to be on a pop gig around the world, around America, all of that at 16, which is ridiculous. And I'm not being funny. Who the hell is going to employ a 16 year old? They've got to be crazy. But anyway, so yeah, and this was what I judged all of my sort of decisions on. And I got into bands outside of school. I was just playing with literally anyone that I could. And then something happened, which kind of was a crossroads for me. I got a call from a friend of a friend who needed a drummer last minute for a recording session. And at the time I was kind of like, I was very, not overly confident, but I sort of was like, this is me. I I saw myself as a drummer. So anyway, got this phone call, friend of a friend, can you come down and do this session? I was like, oh, amazing. First call to do a session. This is it. This is the big time. They're going to hear me play. And then after that, they're going to call me for every single session that comes in that they need a drummer and blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, so I went and learned these songs to, you know, the standard that I thought was applicable because uh, luckily I got the tracks beforehand. Anyway, I went in to do this session and absolutely bombed. Like you wouldn't believe, like I was 16 years old and I was in the control room and, and the guy was like, okay, should we do a take? I was like, yeah. I was thinking to myself, I'm ready for this. I got this. Like they're going to love me. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, started going, fell apart. It was just the worst thing at like not playing with the click, not playing with like the other music. Going. It just, the sound, oh, it was terrible. It was just so awful. Um, and then this producer guy, like, he sort of uh, came into the control room, uh, sorry, the live room. And he was like, so um, are you all right? Do you want any different stuff in your mix? Or, you know, trying to be nice. And and I was like, oh, no, like, no, it's fine. Yeah, let's just try another one. And then um, did another one, worse. Then he sort of like comes in again. He's like, should we just, just should we try one more? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tried one more, even worse than the last. And then he comes in and he's just like, Emily, I'm so sorry, but I'm just going to have to ask you to leave. Like, oh my God. Literally heartbreaking. I have never known heartbreak like that. And I was like, and I was trying to be professional and like keep it together, but I just started sobbing. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, that's fine. So anyway, I left that situation and I was heartbroken. Wouldn't leave my room like in my house for three days. Like my mum had to literally drag me out of the house to go for a walk just to get out. And I just reached this point where I was like, right, there's two ways I can deal with this. Either I hang up my sticks and go, well, that was my run and that was fun and that's it. Or I can just face these things that I'm clearly not very good at head on. And obviously, luckily, I did the latter and sort of like worked from there on, you know, playing to a click recording and doing all that sort of stuff. And it's from there that it was terrifying. I mean, for years, I was terrified of recording, like proper red light syndrome. Um, and it did take me a few years to get over. And I actually got some really good advice when I was 18 from a drummer called Billy Ward. I don't know if you guys know him. He, he lives, uh, well, he did live up in upstate New York. I don't know where he is at the moment. Anyway, great drummer, played with everyone. Amazing, lovely human. And he said to me, look, the key is record yourself and listen back. And I was like, okay, what do you mean? He said, literally, dictaphone 
because, you know, we didn't have USB recorders back then. It's like, you know, a little dictaphone, record yourself, listen back, then play again, record yourself, listen back. Just do that. I promise you that'll work. And I was like, okay, yeah, like trying to be like, yeah, I'll take on this advice. Did I listen to him? No. Then three years later, I actually started doing that. And that's when I, my progress level was like an exponential curve and it just shot through the roof. And that was the life-changing sort of like thing that I did. And that led me on to where I am now, I guess, because I sort of got past that initial awkward phase of realizing that what I was playing and what was actually being recorded, like what I was hearing and what actually was happening were two different things, which was so difficult to understand at the time. But gradually, as I sort of practiced, those two things came together and that was a turning point for me. It it really was. Bloody hard lesson, though. Took many years, but best lesson and biggest failure of my life, I think, which is, uh, yeah. First of all, that advice is amazing advice for anyone playing any instrument. It's called a feedback cycle. How long of a feedback cycle do you have between when you do something and when you see what those results are? And this is huge in the photography world, actually. So uh, before digital photography, in order to see what work you had done, you had to go physically get the pictures developed. And so there's a big lag time between the work you did and the feedback you got. That was a very long feedback cycle. And when digital photography became the norm, uh, the feedback cycle was dramatically reduced to basically instant. So you could take a photo and you could almost instantly see the results of what you had just done. And that grew the photography world by leaps and bounds because it made people so much better because that feedback cycle had shrunk to such a small amount. So that applies to pretty much any area in life. If you can get a quick amount of feedback or instant feedback or whatever, that's going to improve you immensely on anything that you do. And so obviously it worked out well for you in the drumming world. I assume, and I'm just assuming here that recording yourself is just for feedback on drums, just to hear yourself is kind of what got you started in recording. Did you maybe from there start getting more and more advanced in the actual recording aspect of recording yourself? And I'd love to know more on both sides, both recording and touring, because you still haven't really got into the touring part of this yet. And I would love to oh, see yeah. really, <laughs> I'd love to see really where <laughs> that, that. <laughs> where the where the break started happening, because I just know here in Nashville, it's such a saturated market to be a musician. I mean, everyone here is better than the next. And so if you come to Nashville, Nashville with whatever skills and abilities you have, the wind will get sucked out of your cells at some point because you'll see someone who is 10 times better than you. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to succeed because it's so much more than simply skill. But I'd love to know really what was the thing that got you into the touring world and really what led to the success you've had with touring. Yeah. So that's a very good point that I didn't even answer the question. I'm so busy <laughs> off on a tangent. It's all right. Um, yeah, it's good that you can bring me back. Um, yeah. So uh, Basically, I was just playing with everybody that I could. Literally, if I physically had the time, I would go and play with anyone. And what that meant was, you know, I was, I mean, I was so broke and I left school at 18, did my A-levels, which I don't know, it's like college over there, I guess, um, uh, just to keep my parents happy. Because they said, look, if you lose a limb, just have something to fall back on. I was like, (laughs) okay, that's fair enough. Um, And then my parents said to me, look, you can live at home for three years as if you were going to university. So you don't have to worry as much about bills. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, that's amazing. So I got into covers bands and I, I, like I say, I played with literally anyone I could, so new artists and and whatever else. And then um, I got a phone call for a band called The Hours. And basically it was a friend of mine who was also a drummer who was touring with an artist called Mika, uh, who was a big pop artist over here. I think he did a little bit over in the States. Um, 
And yeah, so it was the front of house engineer's wife was the manager of this new band. How tenuous is that? And they were looking for a second drummer. So I just went and did this audition and the guys seemed to like me. And yeah, so this band called The Hours, we kind of did a, a year of recording and touring with them. I mean, did the most insane thing. So our first gig was in New York Sotheby's playing with Bono as part of his Red Charity. I mean, it was just this... I was like, um, so I'm officially professional now and this is the first gig. What the hell is going on? This is mental. So we did that and then we recorded an album with uh, Flood, you know, who did all U2 stuff and all of that. Again, like world-class producer. We were making videos with Tony Kay, who is the director of American History X and uh, incredible films like that. Uh, And our main guy funding it was Damien Hurst, the artist. So this was just this mad situation and I was like is this what all bands are like this is crazy (laughs) Um, setting the bar high early on do you know what I mean talk about just like whipping the rug out from under your feet but anyway so I did that for a year and it was great it was really good but it came a time it was a two drummer thing and I was kind of seen as a percussionist and I was really set on being seen as a drummer and taken seriously it was fighting against the female thing and you know I had a lot of that going on when I, I mean, I was like 20 then and it was a thing. And I was like, look, I need to be known as a drummer for my own personal well-being. So anyway, I left that situation. And then the next year I got a phone call from a guy who I hadn't spoken to in about five years or something like that. And basically it was the manager of this artist that I played one show with, never heard of again, like completely disappeared. And this guy, Alistair, he called me. I was like, oh, hey, how are you? I haven't spoken to you for ages. And he was ringing me at like nine o'clock at night. I was like, this is very odd. And he said, hey, Emily, like, how are you doing? I was like, yeah, I'm good. He goes, so what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, uh, I'm, I'm around. I'm going to a gig now. But um, yeah, tomorrow's like, why? What's going on? And he said, oh, I've got this gig. Can you come do it? I said, yeah, yeah it's fine. Who's it with? Oh, Brian Ferry. And I was like, uh, are you talking about like Roxy Music, Brian Ferry? You know, that big 70s icon. It, like, what? Are you, what? That guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you called to come do it? I was like, uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I went and did this show, this random gig that I was, I don't even know what the gig was. Came home at like one in the morning, stayed up all night in tears, charting songs going, how am I going to do this? Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, it was mental. Went and did the show. Everything went well. Brian seemed happy, very nice, lovely band. I was like, okay, cool. And then went home. Next day, I get a phone call. Hi, this is Brian's studio. He was just wondering if you wanted to come down and like hang out. And I was like, hang out. What (laughs) does that mean? Okay, yeah, sure. That's fine. Anyway, I came down to the studio and he came in the room and he said, right, should we record some drums then? And I ended up recording on his album. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> just the most mental thing. So anyway, that was the beginning of my touring. And, and like I say, then I went on to working with Tricky, which again, I still don't know how I got that gig. It was some sort of strange recommendation. Uh, Cher Lloyd was the same. I mean, it's always from sort of people that you haven't heard from in like three, four years. And then suddenly they crop up and just go, oh, hey, I don't suppose you're around for this tour, are you? Yeah, great. Let's do that. So yeah, I mean, it just, it works really well for my personality because I'm, I love variety and I love being able to work with lots of different artists, different genres, different people. It just, it really works for me. I I, I get scared if I'm doing just one thing. It really, it frightens me a little bit. I don't, I'm a bit of a committophobe when it comes to bands or artists. That's what I would say. (laughs) But yeah. 
Did I answer the question yet? Or Yeah, you got the question that we had originally asked, which was about the touring career. And uh, did you want to comment anything on that, Chris, before I go to the next section here? Wow. <laughs> That's a good comment. <laughs> Great comment, Chris. Now, okay, so a couple of things I noticed straight off the bat is you remind me a lot of Billy Decker's personality, which is just like super easygoing, like super friendly, super nice. And I would actually, before we get into the recording part of this, uh, where we start talking about how you kind of fell into the recording side of things, I would love to know if you can really pinpoint some of the things that changed from, you know, shy, timid, 11-year-old Emily versus the obviously now confident uh, person that has been uh, has good social skills. I think social skills is such an important thing. We talked about it a lot on Billy Decker's episode and the episode we recorded after that. And I'd love for you to kind of touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Can I just say as an aside, uh, so the Billy Decker episode, I listened to that literally the day or two days before I came out to Nashville and I emailed him and I was like, can I just say thank you for being so lovely and so kind and open because it's something that I try and do as well. Like I try and just be myself, which I, I will literally do anything for anyone if you ask me. I really will. Like sometimes to my detriment and it has kind of burned me in the past sometimes. And um, it just, a lot of people would offer advice and say, you know, you should keep your cards to your chest and not tell everyone all your plans all the time. And, you know, all these things that just weren't me. And I was just like, I heard that and I went, oh, it can work. So I emailed him and I just said, look, I just wanted to say thank you. Also, as an aside, I'm actually coming to Nashville and I ended up meeting up with him. And he really is like awesome. the loveliest man. Like <laughs> yeah. he's such a sweetheart. <laughs> Billy said in the interview, anyone who ever contacts him, like he'll reply back. And he, if you want to come hang out or meet him or chat with yeah. him or whatever, he'll open a studio to you. And he, he is not joking about that. He's telling the honest truth. It was crazy, but it was so lovely. But anyway, so, okay. So how did I come from a really shy girl? Um, well, I, it sounds silly, but I am still that shy girl, but basically. Oh, I can tell for sure. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. It sounds stupid, but if you've got me talking about drums or music, I am the most confident person. And I've got a story that goes along with this, but I guess from 11 years old, I just, the more I grew in confidence in knowing what I was doing as a drummer and the more information that I had, I felt I had things to talk about and I had opinions and I could connect with people like to do with all that sort of stuff. But you put me in a room with people that don't like music isn't their thing or like non-musicians. I freak out a little bit and prime example. And I'm sorry if I sound like I'm name droppy here, but it's for a good reason. Okay. So I did a gig with Brian Ferry and it was in Geneva. It was for some watch convention. I don't know. I'm not interested in watches. It's not my thing, but um, we we're doing this show and I was playing and there's like a room full of celebs and all, you know, boring stuff like that. And I was just playing, having a great time. Yeah, celebrities are so boring. I know. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? It's like, that's not what life's about. Right, like, right, life right. isn't about yeah. celebrity. It's about life. It's about love and friendship. And anyway, I won't go into all that. But anyway, I was playing. <laughs> I was playing and I looked out and I saw Ewan McGregor. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And I also saw, saw Arsene Wenger, who you may not know who that is. He's basically the manager of a football team over here called Arsenal, who's my favourite team when I was a kid. And I was like so starstruck seeing him. I was like, I don't care about you and McGregor. Arsene Wenger, wow. <laughs> um, anyway, so I was playing and just doing my thing, finished the gig, fine. Uh, went backstage, was getting changed. And the manager came in and said to me, uh, oh, 
there's a guy here to see you, like come come out sort of thing to, to all of us, really. So we all sort of came out and got a drink. Ewan McGregor comes to the door of like where everyone is, like this backstage area, and he comes back bounding over to me and just starts going I just I love the way you play and you clearly love what you do and it's so amazing and I'm just standing there like I I don't know I don't know what to say I have nothing in common with you I don't know what to say Um, and I was like thanks thanks so much and then he could obviously see that I was a little bit like freaking out um it's because you don't like star wars you you were probably freaked out by him because you don't like star wars <laughs> don't oh that's the awful bit oh. anyway let's not go into that <laughs> no can i just say he's the loveliest man but he obviously saw that i was a little bit freaked and it wasn't because it was you and mcgregor it was because i was like i don't know how to speak to you i don't think we have anything in common and then he just suddenly went oh i should have mentioned i used to play drums and I used to have this sonar kit. And I was like, oh, amazing. So, And then we were just gabbing on, like just chatting to each other for ages. Turns out his daughter plays drums and all this like amazing stuff. So yeah, get me out of my comfort zone. Can't talk to anyone. Tell me that you used to play drums. I will talk <laughs> at you for hours <laughs> as I'm doing now. <laughs> I can 100% relate to that because back in my touring days, I would talk to anyone who came to me to talk about drums. I would talk for 45 minutes, an hour to a complete stranger if it was related to drums. I have to say, drummers are a very special breed when it comes to that. I find if you find any drummer in a vicinity of an area and you just go, are you a drummer? I'm a drummer too. Instantly, you're like best friends because I think no one wants to be friends with drummers. So (laughs) just like we have to stick together. (laughs) But I like that. It's a lovely community really and so supportive. And it's one that's been very supportive of me and my career and helped me. And yeah, so drummers are cool. No offense, Chris. We love you too. I can play the djembe. Can you? (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, I love a djembe. No, that's good. That'll work. All right, let's shift into kind of the recording side of things because I would love to know really when you started to make that transition of turning the relationships and skills that you had developed on the road touring with all these musicians, when you really uh, took those skills and brought them over to the recording world. And did you first go, and this is something Chris and I were discussing before the interview is, did you first go straight into recording drums as a service, remote drums, or did you try to record uh, artists first? Oh God, no. Would I ever try and record artists? I can barely record drums. No. So the way that it happened for me was obviously, I I don't know about you guys, but as a kid, that was the dream. Have a studio and record. That was absolutely ideal. And I'd say around about six years ago, maybe a bit longer, uh, I was living with my friend. This is that friend that was playing with Mika. Uh, We grew up together, basically. She's a drummer as well. And she had a studio in her garden. And this studio was set up more for like uh, lessons. So they were like mirrors over all the walls. So the worst sound in there, like you would ever know. So, um, but I, I was like, maybe I should try and start doing some recordings with this. And she even had a bunch of gear set up. I don't even know to this day what it was, but all I know is that I used to look at it and it used to scare the bejesus out of me. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know what any of that does. I don't know how that connects to that. I don't know. So anyway, I bought a little Zoom recorders, uh, Zoom recorder, you know, the H2N one, which is, it's great. I use it for shooting videos. It's my little portable recorder for video shooting. 
Well, I've got the H5 in. Oh, well, check you out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there goes the gear slot alert. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I just had this little recorder and I was like, I'm just going to record stuff on here. And I would start out uh, doing videos. And my whole angle was that I wanted it to sound raw. I didn't want it to sound edited. I wanted to be like, this is how I sound as a drummer. Anyway, so I started out just doing that and just, you know, finding different places that I could put this one mic to make it sound all right. I look back now, they sounded horrendous. But at the time I was like, oh, this sounds good. And, you know, this will do. So that was kind of the beginning of thinking about it, if you know what I mean. Then I moved when I met my now husband uh, to a different house and we built a sort of studio in a garage. But again, it was kind of this botch job kind of thing no treatment or anything like that and it was it it didn't sound good it was made with a lot of love and you know wonderful and wonderful man and all that stuff but uh it just didn't sound very good so I was like okay that's not gonna work and basically two no more than two years ago three years ago I was working with the darkness and we had just recorded their album that I was on and we'd done a bunch of shows and I'd made the decision at the end of it. Well, we kind of both had, both parties had decided that maybe they weren't right for me and I wasn't right for them for a few different reasons. And I thought, right, I'm at a situation now where I have a choice. You know, I've just come off this darkness gig and everyone's going to think that I'm busy and that I'm not going to be around. So let me just make a choice about what direction I want to be going in, basically. And I thought, right, what do I love? I love playing drums and I love variety, which was part of the reason that I had to leave because they wanted someone that could commit to just them. And I was like, look, I've built a career for the last 20 years with people. I And I love the fact that I can play with different people and, you know, and I, I work it out. I make it work. And they were like, no, you can only play with us. And I was like, oh, that, is, that probably isn't going to work for me. And it's freaking me out. So I thought, <laughs> right, <laughs> let's go like complete opposite. Getting too clingy. Yeah, totally. This is, I, I'm not a dog person for that exact reason. I'm like, no, I can't deal with it. Like cats, absolutely. They go off, they do their own thing. They come back to you when they're hungry. Absolutely fine. But dogs, <gasps> love me, love me. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. Go away. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I just thought, okay, well, let's let's just go complete extreme. That's the other thing. I'm, I'm quite an extreme person when it comes to this sort of stuff. And I thought, what about remote recording? because I've seen a few of my friends sort of doing it a little bit. They seemingly were having some success. And I thought, well, this would be perfect. Every day I can be working with different artists, different bands. If I don't get on with them or don't like them, because obviously, I mean, Brian, you'll know this. Um, Chris, you've done some touring as well, Chris, haven't you? Like, you know, when you're on the road with people, you might love them to death but there's a certain point that comes that you want to kill all of them, which is fine. <laughs> that is the most truth. And especially when you've toured with a band 200 shows a year for multiple years, that moment comes on probably day 12 of 1200. Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, like I say, I love dearly every person that I've toured with, even if they've been an absolute nightmare. But I just thought, this is perfect because if someone really upsets me or pisses me off, someone that I'm working with in the studio, I just don't have to work with them again. And that's okay. So I just thought, well, this makes the most perfect sense. Yeah, I might not be out touring as much or I can do it alongside touring, which is what I'm doing at the moment. But say, even if I was just doing studio stuff, 
I could still go on holidays. I mean, I don't go on holidays. And when I am on tour, I don't see the place anyway. So why not just actually live, you know what I mean? Rather than being a slave to my job. Not that, you know, I, I love what I do. I really do. But I've realized recently that, you know, I, I, should, I should have a life outside of drums, which I've never had because I do have that laser focus. And I'm just, I'm so obsessive about stuff, which works because obviously I've made a career from it. So something must have gone right. So yeah, so, and that's how it came about. And I literally, I was in a very fortunate situation that I was able to, you know, after doing that album, I was able to build the studio. And I, all that gear stuff still freaked me out. And I was like, right, I just need to learn how to do this out of pure necessity. It wasn't about, you know, that's how I roll. Everything that I do, I do it because it's necessity and because I don't like leaving it to other people. And I don't like relying on other people's knowledge or whatever. I need to know how this works, that works, you know, how I'm going to do that. What happens if that happens? You know, I just need to know it. Otherwise, I'm so uncomfortable and I can't be confident. And at the end of the day, if you don't have confidence in what you're doing in anything, then you don't have anything. And yeah, that's the other thing. I love talking to people as well. If they're musicians, I adore it. I adore hearing about people's stories. You know, the fact that Chris keeps bees and pole vault vaults and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, that's incredible. And then he happens to be this amazing mastering engineer as well. It's just incredible. <laughs> like life is oh, so amazing. Oh, I don't know. Just saying it how it is. Um, yeah, so it, it it just sort of came about like that. And then I got to start meeting some really amazing people and... Yeah, it's just gone from there. And then, of course, I enrolled in Brian's course, which has just elevated the whole situation like beyond anything that I could have thought, like super quick, which has totally freaked me out because I'm about to go on tour and I've got people emailing me. And I'm going, I can't even listen to what you're doing until the middle of May. And I'm so sorry. But people seem to be really like understanding, which is great. I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that I'm touring with an artist that they've heard of and they go, oh, it's kind of cool. You know, the drummer that's going to be playing on my stuff is on tour. That's why she can't record. And um, <laughs> so I try and make it work to my advantage, but with, you know, I just want the best for anyone really. So um, yeah. Did I answer that question <laughs> or am I rambling like an idiot? No, that was great. <laughs> that's fantastic. Let's, First of all, I'd like to just take a second to formally apologize to you Why? for helping you get a lot of clients. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, Brian? Anytime. It's been uh, like, I don't mean this to be a plug to you or like kiss your ass. It is literally the best thing that I have found ever about like running a business because it, you guys, you both with this podcast and with your course, Brian, you make it so accessible like I would read up about stuff about business stuff and you know all these ROIs and CTAs and all this crap and I just go I kind of get it but I don't get how that's relevant to what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do and what are all these bloody acronyms this is getting ridiculous can you just <laughs> speak English it's insane um, and you basically just have created something that goes right this is that. This is how you're going to use it. And it's like amazing. Things like CRMs. I would never have even touched a CRM. The thought of it would have freaked me out beyond belief. And now I can't live without it. I think it's the most genius thing ever in the world. <laughs> well, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Let's explore that a little bit. First of all, which CRM did you go with? Uh, I went with the HubSpot one just because it's free. And just whilst I'm getting my head around it and because I'm on the road and I don't want to be paying for something that I'm not using at the moment. Like I am using it all the time, but 
Yeah, because it's kind of, I feel like I have two separate businesses. I have my touring stuff and I have my recording stuff. If I was just doing recording, I'd probably go for like uh, the Close one that you uh, you use, isn't it? Close IO? Close IO, yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify real quick, uh, for those who don't know, we have an episode about this. Uh, CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management Software. And all this does is allow you to track every single potential deal or potential paid project uh, and where you are in the process with each one. And I'd love for Emily, for you to talk a little bit about how you implement it in your own business. But typically for most businesses, you're going to have multiple deals at different stages at all times. And having a CRM in place helps a lot with that. So what's like, let's kind of jump into some business stuff here. I know we're already pretty deep in this interview, so we're not going to have a ton of time to really dive into this kind of stuff. But I'd love to know kind of what's a typical project like for you start to finish as far as the CRM is concerned. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, first of all, can I just make a point that, so I'm the kind of person that gets quite, not easily overwhelmed, but I create overwhelm for myself, if you know what I mean. Like I sort of go, right. And I think about everything all at once and it's just a mess. And before I joined your course and before I implemented the CRM, I had this folder of like so many emails related to the drum recording side of stuff. And I was like, this is just a mess. And I I don't know when I last spoke to that person. I don't know what we were doing there and what sample rate were we recording at? And I just, I I don't know what's going on. Like I don't know my ass from my elbow and this sucks. <laughs> but as soon as I sort of, obviously the initial putting everyone into the CRM was a bit of a ball ache. But once I'd done that, yeah, it just completely changed my life. Like the fact that you can have all these different sort of like categories that you can put in stuff about the person. And, you know, I even have a, a section that says, you know, how easy are they, they to work with, you know, and <laughs> if they're like red flag, it's like, right, no, don't do that. Don't, none of that. Um, so in terms of the sort of how it looks using the CRM, let's say I get an email through my website, just someone casually telling me about their music, what they're up to, here's a link. And they might say, and, you know, I was looking to maybe get some drums recorded on this new song that I'm writing. And uh, I'll be like, yep. And I'll email back and be like, yeah, that's great. Uh, Song sounds great. What's your kind of timeline for this? And whatever they say, they might say, well, I can't do it now, but I'm, I'm looking at maybe, let's say, for argument's sake, the middle of June. And what I'll do is I'll put in a reminder, middle of June, and I'll say to them, I'll say, okay, great. I'm going to chase you up. And I'll tell them, I'll just say, look, I'm going to be getting in contact with you and being really annoying with your permission, of course. uh, And if you don't mind, and every time they just go, that's great. That's perfect. That's what I need almost because, you know, people like to have deadlines to work with. Um, So I'll get in touch maybe a week before sort of they've said and I'll just say hey just sort of checking in how you doing like what's going on and then they'll sort of like get their files together or whatever and then and I'll say to them okay thank I have a specific form that they have to fill out once they've decided they want to work with me which tells me exactly what the songs are uh I do I think you guys were talking about it I think Chris you were talking about it through your website like simple things like delegating to the customer so uh putting the title of the track with the BPM at the end of the title, like really simple stuff, but oh my gosh, it just saves me so much hassle. Um, and then telling me exactly what sample rate that they're working at. So, you know, there's no confusion there because when I first started, there were so many times where I'd record something, do all the work and they go, yeah, great. And that's a 48 kilohertz, right? And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's a 44.1. Ah! 
So, um, yeah, so things like that, you know. So anyway, I will do, I will take away their tracks and I will say to them, right, I have, if I've got a busy schedule, which at the moment is mental, um, I'll say, right, I will book you in on this date. I will then send them an email that morning and just say, just so you know, I'm working on your track first thing this morning. You will have something to listen to by this evening, um, which usually I will give them something to listen to by around about midday. Just so that, you know, that over deliver thing, under promise, over deliver thing. Yep. Uh, and then we'll go back and forth with any revisions that they want, if they want any, which I mean, I'd say realistically seven times out of 10, the first take is the take. And then there might be the odd sort of like change or whatever. Um, yeah. And then I will then see, I'm different to you guys. I then, once they're happy and they say, yep, that's it. That's the take. Totally happy. I'll say, great. Now I'm going to send you an invoice. Once you've paid that, then I'll send you a link to download your full resolution stems because I'm only ever sending a bounce of an MP3 with their song. So, that, you know, they can't use that for anything. Are you doing a deposit and then an invoice for the rest? Or No, this is my good faith in people thing, which so far has only backfired on me once out of around about maybe 300 projects, which I think is not too bad, but it has made me think. But then I... I Oh, I don't know. Because I, I have this thing where I just want you to be happy. That's my number one thing. So if you're not, I want us to be able to part ways as friends. I've always said, I say that to every single person I work with. You know, if you're not happy with what I do, it's totally fine. As long as we can part in a nice way where everyone's happy, I'm happy. I want to point some stuff out on that real quick. And that is, you know, I tend to preach a very strict approach to this type of stuff where it's like, I require a non-refundable deposit. I require this, I require that. And there's a lot of people like Emily who believe in the faith and goodwill of humanity. And I think there's a lot to learn from both sides. And I don't want to say that what Emily does is wrong by any means, especially with the track record that she has with that. Because I would guarantee you without a shadow of a doubt that she has gotten more referrals because of her approach to business, which is the giving first. Uh, I, I would recommend anyone go check out this book called The Go-Giver. This is a book that, Emily, I don't know if you've read that or not, but you absolutely live it <laughs> if you haven't read it. You don't need to read it. But anyone who struggles with this kind of giving first mentality, the, the person that has what I consider the scarcity mindset, the mindset that is, you know, I can't do this because if I do this, they'll take it from me, that kind of personality. Or if I help this person, then you know I'll get less out of it or whatever. That type of mentality, if you struggle with that, go listen to or read the book, The Go-Giver. But I just want to say a couple things on, you know, should you be like Emily and have a very, you know, kind of free spirit type approach? You know, the universe is going to bring the energy to me. You know, I'm just joking. You're not like that. But you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, the type of personality, where, should you be that really trusting type personality or should you be like me where you're very strict, you require non-refundable deposit? And I think that because of our business model differences, it works really well that she is approaching her projects this way. And it doesn't necessarily work as well for me because in my business, these are multi-thousand dollar projects that can last weeks at a time. And so if I have one of those fall through, I have weeks without income. And worse off, if I work that entire three or four weeks and don't get paid at the end of it, I am screwed. However, on Emily's projects, most of these I'm assuming 
and I don't know this for a fact, I'm just assuming most of these projects are pretty small as far as monetary and time amounts. So if you are essentially just setting up and recording drums that you already have set up and you're playing through the song that they sent you and it may be only a two, three hours out of your time to where if they're unhappy and you at the first and foremost for your business, you want your clients to be happy. If that's your business model, that works really, really well because if they're not happy the way it turned out and they don't have to pay for that, uh, then I think that's a I think that's a win win because at the end of the day, I'm going to go out on a limb. Actually, I'm going to ask you what is your number one source of work right now? Oh God, it's a real mix, but I mean the majority is either referrals or it's people coming back. Yeah, and and I'm not surprised at all. That was what I was going to assume is referrals and return work. When you do a great job, which is what Emily does, if you go to her website, check out her work and you have, you know, a basically a risk-free guarantee like that, which is I take on all the risk, Emily, as Emily, she takes on all the risk. And if you're unhappy, she's basically wasted her time, but you're out no money. So she's taking on the risk here. If you can offer that, and these are these smaller type projects, you're going to have a winning combination for your business. And I think she's done a great job to do that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and let me jump in there. You hit the nail on the head that there are sort of two business models that I think we're probably addressing for the listeners of this podcast. There are people that work with, you know, five or 10 or 15 giant customers throughout an entire year. And there are other business models, uh, mine and Emily's, we're sort of in that different zone of like, we might work with a few people in a day. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of smaller projects. And as a result, I love what you said, Brian, about this idea of how it might actually make more business sense to take on more liability. Liability meaning that you might get ripped off for these smaller projects because you might win more projects as a result. And that's something I've thought about with my business. You know, I, I require that people pay upfront so they make a payment on the website to book a project. I've thought about switching to a, I'll send you mastered files with a watermark and then you can buy your whole record at that point. Pay that. I've thought about, you know, that might actually, it's more risk for me, but I might close on a lot more projects if I do that. So this is challenging to kind of think about it more in that abundance mentality, or the opposite of a scarcity mentality. It's interesting because after listening to your podcast, I actually switched around my business model for a while where I was asking for people to pay up front. And I did get people paying up front, which was nice, but I also felt more of a pressure on myself to get it done even quicker. I mean, my, my if I'm in the studio, my turnaround time, generally speaking, is 24 to 48 hours. Like, I want your track to be done and I want you happy and, you know, telling your friends and leaving me a review and whatever else. But once I had that up there, that form, which takes the payment, I remember this one guy, he sent through like four tracks straight away. And I was like, huh. And I, I remember I was getting my car serviced and I was like, I'm not even in the studio and I'm not even going to be back there for like the next three hours or something. Like, it doesn't feel good and I don't like it and I don't like that I'm in debt to people almost. And I much prefer that someone ask me and I say, yes, I can do that for you. Let me do it for you. And then you can be the one that can worry about paying me. That's a much nicer and more chilled out approach because I'm all about least stress <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> Well, what's so cool about that, and this is a phrase I don't think I've said on the podcast, but it's sort of a, a really important phrase to me in my life and in my business, that your business should fit in the cracks of your life. 
not your life fitting in the cracks of your business. And that's what you've done. That's so cool. I love that. My business fits in the crack of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just full of them. Is it because you're wearing that badge today? Yeah. For those of you who can't see me, which is literally everyone on the podcast, I have a pen on my shirt that says, I pooped today. <laughs> it's from our new sponsor, SquattyPotty.com. <laughs> I wish we were sponsored by them. That'd be kind of cool, actually. <laughs> It'd be super weird, but... Everybody, that, well, think of the market size. Everybody poops. Everybody poops. It's true. And you have those shit to gold thing as well. So it yeah, kind of ties exactly. in, doesn't it? <laughs> shit. Who knew? I want to touch on real quick, going back to this uh, idea of putting the risk on yourself in the business. And I have to say, it, this is a very tough one to talk about because there's certain businesses, like Chris said, that I think have no business taking on the risk, like my business model at the studio. My projects are too big. I cannot take on the risk on those projects, especially when you have bands who will flake out at the tiniest of reasons. But there are times, and you have to be the one to determine this, there are times when taking on risk makes sense. And in my other businesses, my mixing course from shit to gold, my, my business course, my recording studio business course called The Profitable Producer, in those two instances, I take on all the risk. So in from shit to gold, uh, there's a 30-day refund period. Anyone requests a refund within 30 days, they get it. And I've refunded people because the course wasn't what they thought it would be. It's a very small percentage, but in the same for a profitable producer course, I have a 90-day refund period. I have a tiny, tiny, I'd say maybe less than 2% refund rate on that course. But the reason being, yes, maybe over the next 12 months, I will have someone join that course, watch all of it, request a refund in 90 days and get their money back. And then I've been taken advantage of. But, and I know this for a fact that I will have a lot more people who are willing to take a chance on it because I'm the one taking on the risk because they don't want to lose money. It's a, I mean, it's, it's not a cheap course. I'll go out and say that right now. Um, but I'll tell you what, can I just interject? It's bloody well worth it. Yeah. I didn't pay her to say that. I'll say, yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I'm telling everyone that I can tell. I'm like, you need to enroll in this. It is unbelievably amazing. Funny story. Emily was actually my first customer. I had a group of beta students. So I had 50 students in my beta program, which was a live eight-week implementation of this course. And then I did all the pre-recorded videos and, and packaged them all together in a very nice and neat package that is much more easily consumable instead of two-hour videos. It's five to 12-minute videos. And she was my first customer. And I think that she, wouldn't, she may not have joined this course if I didn't have that refund period. And here's why. I remember the actual chat I had with Emily on my website. I have a live chat icon on there. And she was telling me that she had a situation where she was doing drums as a service. She was recording drums for people and then sending the files off. And she wanted to know if the course would work for her. And I told her, I said, I think it will, because honestly, business is universal, especially for freelancers. Like I could take this course to the photography niche. I could take this course to the videography niche. I could take it to graphic designers and it would all be within reason. It would be implementable to their own businesses, but all the terminology and language is about studios. So I told her, and I said this specifically, and I might could pull up the chat records here. I said, join the course. You have the 90-day refund period. If it's not, uh, if it doesn't help what you're doing in your drum stuff, you can, I'll give you a full refund. And that sort of guarantee eases the mind when you're unsure if something's going to work for you. So think about it from Emily's perspective. When she's offering drum services to people and they're unsure of how it's going to turn out, they've never done this remote drum recording thing before, you know, 
they're unsure how it's going to sound. So when she's taking on the risk, recording it all and sending it to them so they have an idea of what it's going to sound like and how it's going to turn out and what sort of fills she's going to do and all the parts, and they're blown away, then they're more than happy to take out their wallets and pay you. And so I think that's that's a very, very good way of looking at should you reverse the risk to your clients? And that is actually... If you study sales, you study the psychology of sales, that is one of the big psychological triggers for sales. And it's called risk reversal. That is where you're taking off the risk off the shoulders of the person to where if it doesn't work out the way they think, they know they can go back and get their money back. And to me, that is a huge part of you know my other businesses because I want the peace of mind for those people. I just wanted to make a point, actually. It's interesting that you say about that because I actually have another business as well, which is, uh, I mean, it's only a very occasional thing where I teach drummers how to be session drummers in the studio, uh, which is harking back to that story that I told about that worst experience I had when I was 16 in the studio. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want people to have to go through this. I'd rather that they come to my studio and we can do it here and it's a controlled environment and I'm friendly and I'm not going to fire them <laughs> and not send them home crying. That's actually awesome. <laughs> um, I sound so lame. I care about people. I genuinely care about people. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to do this as a side sort of business when I can. And each lesson is a couple of hours. Anyway, I had a guy that I didn't know from Adam and he just emailed, oh, I'm really interested. I said, great, let's set it up. Uh, we booked in a day and I lit the time come. Did he turn up? No, didn't turn up. So I was like, well, that sucks. Okay. And from then on, I do actually do a deposit thing for those session lessons, as I call them. So it definitely is business specific. And like you were saying, if I was doing a project where I've got to be with a band for like a month, I'm going to take a deposit. Like you need money to live aside from anything whilst you're in the process. And like, yeah, if they do bail, then that's just, that's too much. That, that hurt, hurts me even thinking about that. It's just, oh, that is stress on a plate. I did notice one thing there, uh, and that is the theme of where it makes sense to take the risk on and where it doesn't. In the situation where he's coming to you, that is putting, and you're taking on the risk for that, you're relying on an action for him for you to do your job. He has to show up. And for you to take on the risk in that scenario, that's difficult for you. In my situation, the bands have to come to me. Five guys have to take time off work. They have to get their songs together. They have to drive to me to record if I'm recording, or they have to get all their files recorded and get them all edited on time and send them to me. And that's where they're doing all the work. Uh, in your situation, it's similar because they are still getting all the files bounced down to send to you, but they're, once you get the files, basically, it's all on you. And so it's, it's not as big of an issue of, are they going to show up or not? And I think if you're trying to ever get someone to show up to something, that is where you need to get them to put their money where their mouth is. I think that's kind of a good litmus test. I think you're 100% right about that. And like you say, once they throw me the files, I'm like, right, it's all on me. And a really useful thing, I operate purely on a sense of fear that I'm going to let people <laughs> down. So it makes me work really hard, which is great <laughs> for everyone. Probably not good for my blood pressure, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I think if you follow the Enneagram, that's a two on the Enneagram, I believe. I'm not 100% sure there. Chris, you know thing about the Enneagram? My wife knows much more than me. I know that we're both eights. We are eights as fuck, yeah. <laughs> what, the, what the hell is an Enneagram? It's a personality type thing. It's similar to Myers-Briggs and all those things, but they're just a little different as far as... And more accurate, apparently. Myers-Briggs apparently is bunk. 
Yeah. Anyone wants to look this up, enneagraminstitute.com, I believe is the website. They have an assessment on there. You can kind of answer some questions. I mean, it might be a paid thing. I think I took it a year or so ago, but there's a lot of books about it. It's kind of the hot new thing right now in the- Yeah. It's very popular, especially in Nashville. My friend, uh, Trevor, his company, Soundstripe, they have uh, an account with Enneagram Institute where all their employees, they're and they're hiring aggressively right now, all their new employees uh, take this because the good thing about it is if you know the numbers, you know how they- interact with each other, you know, really where, where pitfalls can happen in the office space. And you also, it tells you similar, like it also tells you when you're under stress, where do you typically go as far as your shortcomings? And it helps you further deal with that type of person because you know, based on where they are, if you're an eight under stress, you're going to be a two or a three or whatever. Anyways, there's nine different personality types. They're all, you know, have their strengths and weaknesses. There's different health levels. We're not going to, maybe we can get into an episode around that at some point. That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yep. All right. So I think it's time to kind of start wrapping this episode up here. Uh, we've been on this for, it's, it's 77 minutes in Pro Tools right now, but who knows what it'll be after it's edited down. Ew, Pro Tools. <laughs> Pro Tools. So, okay. So first of all, I'm going to ask what I consider a self-serving question, but <laughs> Emily, uh, for anyone who is on the fence about joining the Profitable Producer course, what would you tell them? Do it. Do it. It's the best thing I've, like, I've been, I've enrolled on a couple of different online courses, not specifically to do with studio stuff, but other stuff. This is by far the best course I've ever seen in my life. And for what I paid for it, I made back three times over in the first month after downloading it, like after actually watching it. Unbelievable. Like, the best stuff and and very logical and very like it just works for my brain type it's it's logical it's organized it makes sense it's not douchey you know brian's a real person <laughs> he will say you know i don't really you know he might he might say i don't know like this isn't the major like definite answer but this is what i do which i think is just so important and what really winds me up about other courses where you've got this person who's you know that professional person who is i i know everything and you know just listen to me and life will be amazing well no that's not how life works and brian's like that he's just very chilled and he's himself and he's just very normal which is great and accessible and he's like us He's a normal weirdo, just like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, okay. So wrapping this thing up, Chris, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation that we've had with Emily here? Yeah. Well, I just think it's so cool. You know, you sort of hinted at some of the band drama that sort of got you on this path of, you know, you only had a few clients at any given time. I imagine your income was basically made up from that there were bottlenecks in here or one guy, if he decided he didn't like you or one girl, if they decided they didn't like you, boom, you don't have any money anymore and you got to figure out how to earn it. And I think it's so cool that you've built a business that enables you to work for many people and just kind of spread that liability out amongst a, a lot of people. That's awesome. And I think for a lot of us that listen to this podcast, that that's probably one of the struggles that they have, that their clients take up so much of their time that when it does go south, that it's like a life ruiner. I've always had the mentality that if you put all of your effort into it, of course, but if you always see yourself as dispensable to other people, which might sound negative, then it makes you able to step away. And if things are going wrong, you can make a decision. And if you know, you're feeling really bad in a situation, you can go, actually, this isn't the be all and end all. And actually I have a decision here and actually worst case scenario, 
what is that? What does it look like? And usually it's not that bad. I mean, Leaving the Darkness, who is a well-known band, it gave, gave me a lot of profile. I got a lot of press from it and, you know, it, a lot of opportunities that I subsequently saw. Um, but I know that, you know, in that moment, I was like, right, I can either stay here and I know that I will be unhappy because I'm already going that way and I, I, I know myself, you know. Or I can turn my back on it and just see what else is in front of me. And that's what I did. And honestly, I've never been happier in my life in so many respects. And I think you've just got to get the most positive out of any situation. Even it looks, if it looks like the darkest thing, find that light because there will be something. There's a silver lining in everything. And if it's not there, make it. Make there be a silver lining. You've just It's how you perceive things. That's all life is at the end of the day. Not to get too existential, but life is perception. You know, you might think that person on the road that's just cut you off, you might think, oh, they have it out for me. Or you could just think they're not very aware of their surroundings. Maybe they're having a really bad day. Like, and that's it. That's the end of it. And it doesn't affect you. And you you get on with your day and you can smile at them on your way past them. And maybe that might brighten their, their day. You know, silly things like that. Well, Emily, I love your approach and your mentality towards life. I love your personality. I love how friendly you are. I love how much you care about your customers and your people. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Let's just say if someone wants to hire you for session drumming or for Remote drums. Bobstrums.com, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if anyone wants to work with me, emilydrums.com. If you want to just email me to say hello, emily at emilydrums.com. I'm on all the social medias, literally at emilydrums on anything and everything. Just come shout me out. I'd love to have a chat. I love chatting to anyone, basically. In fact, I'm pretty certain that I have like an invisible tattoo that is only seen for crazy people that says, if you're a bit mad, come and talk to me. The conversations that I have with complete strangers <laughs> on the street is unbelievable. I'm just like, how does this happen? I hope we can add more fuel to that fire. I hope we can send some more crazies your way, Emily. Yeah, yeah, more. I love it. Thanks so much for coming <laughs> on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are so awesome and keep doing what you're doing because I love it. And I listen to it every week when I'm working out on a, on a Wednesday morning. I'm like, yeah, right time for my six figures home studio podcast so yeah you guys rock so that is it for this episode of the six figure home studio podcast hopefully you enjoyed that emily was a lot of fun for this interview uh, and if you didn't hear uh, she's a student of mine she, she's a member of the, the profitable producer course she's one of the students and if you're interested in either learning more about that or joining the course um, i'm actually going to be opening up enrollment soon we only open it up a few times per year and so if you're interested, you can just go to theprofitableproducer.com. That is theprofitableproducer.com. And you'll get a bunch of information uh, and you'll get a chance to join once that is available to join. So if you tune in next week, same time, same place, we will be talking about paid advertising. So do you need paid advertising or should you stay away from it? That is all we'll be talking about next episode. And I think you will be, uh, your mind will be opened up quite a bit. So we're looking forward to that. Again, that's next week. And if you want to be a part of The Profitable Producer this time around, just go to theprofitableproducer.com. Whoa.